Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Eka Ekong is an internationally renowned yoga teacher and also a teacher trainer. She's led workshops and retreats all over the world. She's one of my closest friends, somebody I really look up to and really inspires me. Most recently, she just launched her very own magazine, so she is now the editor-in-chief of Woke Magazine, a magazine that I am so privileged and honored to contribute to, and I cannot wait for you to listen to this podcast. We talk about everything, the importance of practice, the importance of working with a teacher, uh, her journey through yoga and meditation and her past career. We talk about everything. I can't wait for you to listen to this. Please let me know what you thought. And here we go. <laughs> so, so, the, so the question is, how did, yeah. your, how did your yoga path begin? Um, it's broad, but it's not. I right. think it's something that I don't really think about as much anymore, maybe because the time since I began my practice and just where I am in my life, you know, time does what time does. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do feel that there was a certain part of me that was always circling back to this idea of why. Just why am I here? Why do we move like this in the world? Um... And I think behind that for just about everyone and that why is this search for truth or a deeper understanding of just who they are Mm -hmm. and not really knowing, here's the thing, no one, especially, you know, bumbling 19 year old kid has no idea who she is. (laughs) Um, And I remember my sister gave me Allie McGraw's um, yoga DVD and, you know, she's out in the sand dunes and she's wearing white and. And I didn't know at the time, it, you know, Eric Schiffman. And I remember, you know, she gave it to me and I tried to do it. And, you know, certainly there's a part of me that was like, no, this is for the birds. <laughs> I was always kind of circling around, you know, reading books, you know, reading on Buddhism, on philosophy. I think it's just since as long as I can remember. Um, and, you know, then... I finished my education, or not really my education, I just finished university, and um, I came back to the States, and I was, you know, not really knowing yet what I wanted to do. I knew that, you know, I had a deep love for music, mm-hmm. and I just completed my degree in art, so, you know, it's like they, they harmonize, but they're also, they're very different. And, you know, my approach of art was through art history. Um, 
and I got an internship working for Madonna. And that in itself, you know, now, you know, bumbling 23, 24-year-old. Right. Um, <laughs> you don't really understand the, the magnitude of it. Right. It's just like, uh, <laughs> I just got this little internship for one of the biggest stars <laughs> in the entire world. Yes. Yeah, this little, this little tiny, you know, it's my little side hustle, little jobby job. <laughs> a little side hustle, um, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I, you know, I listened to her music, you know, I wouldn't say it was like a Ride or Die Madonna fan, certainly I was aware of her, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, I lived in Europe, so it wasn't like I was inundated with celebrity news and things like that, mm-hmm. so when I came back, I was like, wow, this is a great opportunity. You know, I wanted to work in music. I wanted to have an experience of what that was like. And I started this internship probably after six months of just returning from school. And, you know, you work out of, I worked out of her house. (laughs) 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 Which in itself, like, how is this even happening? And she was working on a movie called The Next Best Thing. And she had just started her yoga practice. Um, and she was very hardcore shangi. So she would have her yoga practices in the house. And, you know, it's like, you know, you're tiptoeing around and doing your thing, doing your work. And I remember being in conversation with her, and she said, you know, have you ever tried yoga? And I said... No, you know, I you know, I was came up as an athlete. I ran track, I played basketball. Like, no, and she's like, you know, you should, you know, think about trying it. And you know, after seeing, you know, now what I know is primary series, uh-huh. secondary series of Sangha, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever. But something about the the effect it had on her, like the the way that I could see that it began to it changed her energy. I was like, that's a good idea, and I'll try it. And I didn't mention to her that I had tried it yet. I just, you know, started to do some research and found a class, which we now, is Earth's Power Yoga, and I think it's still there. And I went to a class one day when I wasn't working. I had, was probably pretty sure I was wearing my pajamas, and it was an all-levels class. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked in, and... The teacher, you know, and Stephen is very sweet, and he's like, you've, you've never practiced yoga before. I was like, no, he's like, with a sweet, no, this is a very, you know, intense, this is a level two, three flow class, you know, just do what you can do, and I'll check in with you. And I was like, thanks. So we started, and I just remember down dog being the hardest thing ever in my life. <laughs> like, this thing is, and people are going up in the headstands and handstands, and I'm just there shaking and trembling. Oh, um no. And I just, I remember how I felt afterwards. Like, um, it's almost like, you know, you're, you're bumping around in the dark and then someone gives you a flashlight. Mm. And I was like, oh, there's something, there's something I haven't, I, like, it's, there's something there, but I haven't yet been able to put my eyes on it. So, um, so on my days off, I started going to yoga class, um, and it began to change me and my life in such a way that the things that I was concerned with began to shift. And, you know, and certainly 
you know, I'm a bumbling 23-year-old girl, you know, and, you know, working in the industry which I was in and certainly for the person I was working for, you see a lot of things, you meet a lot of people who you probably would not meet walking down to Whole Foods. <laughs> um, so the things that I was, I wouldn't even say taught by my parents that were important, but, you know, certainly you see as you come up that, you know, having certain things are important, looking a certain way is important. Um, and I was very much ingratiated in that world. So it's almost like these parts of myself were fighting. Yeah. It was this part of me that wanted to, you know, like you're, you're kind of living the, you're the adjunct celebrity life. Right. Like it wasn't a cause to my talent. It was a cause to this, you know, incredible person that I was able to travel the world and interact with people. And, but then also my practice began to reveal to me that maybe that's, that's not for me. And it got to the point for myself where I began, I just got so burned out from work and trying to be too many things for too many people. Um, but eventually it wasn't even that I had to make a choice. The universe made the choice for me mm. that this wasn't the best place, best job for me to be in. So after a couple of years, you know, that dissolved. And I remember just being back at home in my little LA apartment but the one thing that stayed was my yoga practice. So after being on the road and, you know, just being in that work, I started practicing every day. Um, and even whatever intention you come into the practice for, regardless of what it is, the practice has its own ideas and it will change you. <laughs> so, yeah that's um, that's such a that's such yeah. a big part I mean knowing you obviously and and being one of my best friends and just knowing this story like it's just it's such an incredible thing that I, I mean when when I hear you say that it's just still such a a magical mystical thing that you're you're totally right where it's like this practice does sort of have this power you know that you cannot wield it it just happens so the way that it unraveled in your life and the way that it began to show up I mean it, it seems like it came right at the perfect moment for you yeah you know the way it, sh it should have just at the right time you know certainly there are things that were happening in my family life that I didn't have the tools to deal with um but my, any time I practiced, I felt that I could handle it. Mm -hmm. um, and we've, you know, we talk about the practice like it's, I don't know, some giant living in the countryside. But the, <laughs> the practice comes to you. <laughs> and it can come to you very, very quietly. Um, and you know, my practice now is very different than my practice then. You know, my practice then was very, you know, I was in Los Angeles in the early aughts when yoga was just becoming this business. Um, so I could easily, I would take a class in the morning, I could take a class in the afternoon. It was very asana-based and asana-based. Um, and certainly that's helpful in 
helping to peel away those physical layers so that you, at the end, we know you have that experience of stillness, mm-hmm. right? So it's that we can begin to have more experiences of stillness and connection and less of these moments of, you know, inner and outer separation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I didn't get into yoga for that. I got into it because I wanted to <laughs> have this experience. It's like I, this person that I am working with and admire it, I can see that it's beginning to have an impact in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what it will do for me. Yeah. How how and when did you decide to become a yoga teacher? Well, you knowing me the way that you know me, you know that answer. But <laughs> <laughs> for the people um, that don't know this, <laughs> you know, I didn't. <laughs> I, you know, I was—I would say I was like the reluctant yoga teacher. Um, this is my favorite story, by the way. That's <laughs> I like I love this. Was like, I know you didn't want to be a yoga teacher. No, I mean by that time I was working in another job that was taking up a large portion of my life, which I, you know, certainly have noticed that that becomes a pattern. <laughs> um, a pattern in what and- in your life? <laughs> Well, it became a powder in my life, and that's something that my practice began to show for me, mm-hmm. was that my tendency is to burn out for in work and not have balance for myself. Uh. Um, so I was working for um, Lululemon in Santa Monica, and Yoga Works, I think they just had uh, a new owner. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know all that stuff that happens over there. And they created a partnership with Lululemon and Lulu said, look, we have this opportunity if anyone wants to take teacher trainings. And I was like, sure. And my teacher who I had been with at that time, Colleen Gary, I'd been with her for a few years. She had kept pushing me to take a teacher training. And I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. <laughs> I just want to learn more about yoga. Um, so I was able to take the teacher training and that was in 2005 with James Brown and Heather Seiniger. Mm. And I, you know, I didn't understand, you know, all this anatomy and counteractions. And like, I was like, I just want to practice. <laughs> when are we going to get moving? Um, I guess in my own way, I was, I'm, I'm the student that now when I get, I'm like, mm, okay, this is where <laughs> we are. So it's had the experience. Um, and I remember being in that room and they were asking who wants to be a yoga teacher and everyone's hand went up. And I looked around, like, I was like, I don't want to raise my hand because <laughs> I just wanted to deepen my practice. So, um, you know that during that 200 hour, one of the assistants was um, an amazing teacher whose name is Jean Heilman. And even though I wasn't getting down with some of the stuff that I was learning just then, there was something about Jean's lectures and the way that she taught that lit me up. And I said, hey, do you know, Jean, if you ever do the next training, you'll let me know. Even though in my mind, I was like, I'm not going to do that training. I was like, please do it let me know. And, she, and I think she was like, I'm not going to do that training. And then I got a call from her six months later that she was leading the training. Um, so I was like, well, you can put up or shut up, Becca. So I signed up for the training. And very much similar to my first experience, the more that I practiced, I began to see what fit and what didn't fit. And at that time, my job felt like an itchy suit. Oh. Um, so I'd, I'd actually, I'd taken a, a leave of absence 
um, they're like, take a leave of absence and decide, you know, we really want to keep you. And, and then I came back from a leave of absence and tried for two weeks and I just eventually put in my notice. So, um, I did a 300 with Jane in 2000, completed in 2007 and then continued to study with her for a couple of years. Um, but I did not set out to become a teacher. People did begin to ask me if I was available to teach classes and, and it was almost like I was, I kind of was pushed into it. <laughs> like there was a foot, there was a, there was a boot to my back keeping me forward. Um, which, you know, sometimes we don't, I mean, we don't know. We don't, we, we don't know. We don't know. We know, we know, we know. Um, but it was what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, and then eventually just in time more teaching jobs began to reveal themselves to me. And, and, you know, you know, you starting out as a teacher, you're, you're not, first, you're not, you're not in teaching to be get rich. There are some teachers who can and do. Yeah. Um, but you know, you starting out teaching, you're you're subbing every chance you get. So it wasn't uncommon for me to be teaching anywhere from fifteen to twenty classes. Yeah, just driving all around town, um, and getting my you know doing my practice, and then driving all around town. So, I, you know, I say that I reluctantly became a teacher, but it was it was my own personal reluctance. You know, the divine has divine knows more than I do. So. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, I, I mean, I love to hear that story. I, I obviously personally know, know that story. And I just, I love to hear it because, you know, for the people that haven't experienced you and your class, it, it literally is something. I remember the first time I took your class at Center for Yoga, I walked in and it was just like, who is this person? <laughs> who is this person? And then there's like this really cool, like moody music play. It wasn't like your typical yogi, like music. Like she had some really awesome ambient music playing. And like, it was just very sort of like, I can't even describe like all, you know, all our props were out and, you know, she just walks in with this like presence and this energy where you just feel like, whoa, like I'm about to learn the secrets of the world right now. Like she, <laughs> she's about to like tell it to us, you know? And I just remember, <laughs> I know it literally was an experience. And, and I do have to say like, the the feeling or the energy that you brought into the room was what inspired me to actually want to create that for people because i remember leaving mm-hmm. feeling like wow like that was an experience like that is what a yoga class is supposed to be like that's what it's supposed to feel like somebody who's in there methodically and uh teaching intentionally with purpose uh with with uh, tender love and care. Like you feel that you don't have to say anything. And, and in fact, the, I I don't, I don't know that you said very much, you know what I mean? Like as far as like (laughs) leading us through this really intense, beautifully crafted class, um, you know, and, and of course you, you, had said, you know, um, I can't remember, maybe you talked about a, a sutra of some sort, but, I just remember the the feeling, you know, and I was like, wow, like I I want to and at that point, you know, I was I was practicing also with Jean and mm-hmm. you know, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do 
in, in my life, which obviously you and I, for the people that don't know, had similar experiences in our, in our career sector, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was just something truly inspiring. And so I feel that that's something that I find in, in our yoga community now that's missing a little bit. It's that, that energy, that, that all encompassing full experience of connection when we go into a room, you know, so much of that. And I talked about this with Alex Crow, who I had on a, uh, as a guest on the show, not that long ago about how mm. that that's something that's kind of, it's becoming less and less important. I feel in, in our, in our classes, you know, and, and maybe it is because there's a lot of people who are wanting to create, uh, yoga as, as a career, or have it as a career. And, in order to be able to survive, you have to teach like that 15, 20, 25 classes a week. And at that point, it's like, what, what is the quality that we're left with? Like what happens not only as us as teachers, but as practitioners, like, what are we really bringing to the table? You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? What do you Mm -hmm. think? You know, six to one, half a dozen of the other. Mm. Um, There is, you know, and you, you and I have spoken at length about this. <laughs> um, there, there is a, the intention is always there. I think every yoga teacher intends or hopes to teach a good class. Now, what we define as yoga has certainly changed. Mm-hmm. What we define as good has definitely changed. Mm-hmm. And the, if you're a yoga teacher teaching 15, 20 classes a week, your energy also changes because we're not just spouting off instructions. There is part of us that's present as we teach and part of us that has to get out of the way so that we can hold space for those who have come to practice. Now, if we're exhausted and we're not able to be present, that's when things start to shift. Mm. Things become a little more robotic than we teach. And also, people, as yoga teachers, you start to get burned out. And, you know, I remember a student mentioning this to me, not even a student, another teacher, when I first started teaching. And she was studying Kundalini. And, um, she said to me, you know, Yogi Bhajan said not to have another job when you're teaching yoga so that teaching yoga is not your primary way of financially supporting yourself. And I remember I kind of laughed at her. I was like, ha, 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 silly, silly girl, silly Yogi Bhajan. But, <laughs> you know, again, Capricious 20, 25-year-old. Um, but it's, it's very true. Because when you are, your financial livelihood is tied up in a spiritual practice, it begins to shift what we're teaching. And that's very much, I think, what's beginning to happen now is that it's not just about sharing the tradition and the practice of yoga, but how do I make my class popular? How do I mm-hmm. get butts on the mat? Um, and we've shifted, the pendulum has swung so far in that direction that it's, it's almost like sharing what the possibilities of yoga has become secondary. Mm-hmm. And James Brown 
not the James Brown I did my yoga teacher training with, but another James Brown. He wrote this article last week or the week before about how the bar for teaching has been lowered so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that our, our students don't know. When I tell people about how yoga changed my life, I mean, yeah, I could probably be a music executive right now making buku bucks and, you know, traveling the world, but I would probably be miserable and depressed and not knowing what's outside my front door or even more so what's inside of my heart. And the bar has been lowered so far in some cases that people don't know that yoga has the possibility to change you. It's not even to change you into a better you. It's to, so that you become you, that you become the you that you were meant to be, mm-hmm. not the you and all the layers that we put on. So, you know, it's it's the circle, the chicken before the egg or the egg before the chicken. Yeah. Yeah, I read that article and I I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> you know, it just it was yeah. so it was so well written. Um and I will um I'll I'll link it up to uh the podcast show notes so that people that are interested can can read about it. I think it's something that that's really important especially in the the culture that we're in now, you know, with the way that you know the the popularization of yoga and just how it's sort of shifting or has shifted or has been shifted for a while. You know, it's one of those things like we, we just, I don't know that we can even see the ramifications of us lowering the bar quite yet. You know what I mean? My feeling is we'll start seeing way more injuries, way more unqualified teachers out there teaching, you know, students getting hurt the teachings being so watered down that, you know, it, it it begins to kind of lose that potency, you know, how, how do, how do you, so in being a teacher and, and teaching for as long as you have, how do you keep the purity and the integrity of the practice in the way that you teach? One, practice. As a teacher, you have to have a, you have to have a practice. And if you don't have a practice, it's going to come through your teaching. <laughs> because how can you support people on their path if you are not supporting yourself? So, you know, practice is the first thing. What Asana and meditation they are they are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> right? They they go hand in hand, especially if you are, are leading others. Yeah. Um and then beyond that, you know, two things come to mind. So first, having a teacher and I'm very blessed in that I've had and have amazing teachers. Um and you know, right now Rod striker is my is my teacher Mm -hmm. and I might not I don't see him every day I don't see him every week but he's in my heart and the teachings that he shared with me are always in my heart and I know that the practice is there to support me just as he is 
Um, the other part of that, how do you bring through the integrity into into teaching is it's I think it's important. I think this is something that's been lost, not just in yoga, but just in the world in general. I and mean, we can talk about the world in a whole other podcast. Um but the need for having a spiritual anchor. And that can look completely, and I'm not speaking about religion, but there's something to be said for having, dipping a toe in, having something that supports you in how you move through the world. Mm. And when yoga certainly provides, the yoga does provide that. It's not taught. But, you know, the yamas and the yamas, you know, in Tantra, we have, you know, 10 yamas and 10 niyamas. Um, but you, there, have, there needs to be some sort of moral compass, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, that guides your decisions. Now, I'm, you know, I have not been teaching that long, contrary to popular belief, so I have, you know, coming on 12 years of teaching which compared to others and more senior teachers who've been in this, you know, almost as long as I've been alive. Um, But what I have seen just in myself is that the more time I spend in practice, the more time I spend in meditation, the more time I spend cultivating a spiritual anchor, something that I believe in that is my guiding force, that is how I come forward in my teaching. And... Though I would say times earlier on in my teaching career where it was all about how many people are in class. And, you know, there's always that kind of little gnawing voice in the back of your head, like, oh, how many people are showing up in class? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the company I work for might not be so happy to hear me say this, but I stopped teaching to numbers. It was very important to me when I was younger in my teaching career and just in this world. Now I want people to be able to bring yoga into their lives. So I teach the practice so that one day when a student doesn't come to the studio, that light is in their heart and they can practice on their own. So I think it, your, the integrity in how you teach comes through in your integrity as a person. Mm. And I'm not saying that people who teach the numbers don't have integrity. I'm just saying that the focus is a little different. And I, I teach very, I teach the same way if I have five students in class versus if I have 40 students in class. It's not about me. It's about the practice, and it's, it's really about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, to circle back to having that anchor, that's what helps to create integrity in people's lives. You know, like, you know, think of, you know, for agreements, being of integrity with your word. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing when you teach. It's like, if I'm not doing it, how, how can I ask you to do this? Yeah, but I think that that's one of those, that's a big, big problem. You know, I see it all, I see it all the time. You know, like people who are out there teaching or guiding meditation that are not practicing, you know, and it's like, who's to say, 
you know, I, I also don't want this to be a, a thing where it's like, people are like, well, you know, how, how certified do you have to be? Like, you know, I, I think that in order to teach yoga, you, you should definitely be yoga teacher certified. <laughs> like you should be a, you know, yoga alliance certified teacher, you know, uh, and that's my, my opinion. Um, you know, for, for those people that are out there wanting to teach, you know, but also like, practicing and, and being a yogi is so much a part of what you're bringing out into the world. And it, I think it goes back to what you said at the beginning is finding your why, why you're doing what you're doing and, and where you want to go. Like, what is your intention? Are you wanting to just be in front of a class and you want to be, uh, admired or looked up at by, you know, a room f- of 30 people and, and it's all for you is different than you walking into a room and providing it a space for your students, because at that point it's what you're saying. And I think that that's what sets you apart from a lot of teachers. You know, it's, it's that you come in to create an experience or to hold space for your students. It's not like, okay, here I am. I'm going to go stand in front of the room and like guide these students and get a lot of people in my class to make it popular. So I could be a yoga celebrity. Like, I think that that's sort of the, the, the slippery slope, you know? Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. I think that it's like the old adage, you know, if you want to get better at something, you you work with someone who's better than you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, You know, if I need help with fixing my sink, I'm not going to go get an electrician. I'm going to go get a plumber. And... You know, I I think what you're you're saying is twofold. One, the certification question. And I had a teacher tell me the other day, she's like, when when people ask me, when do I get my certificate, I want to run. She's like, maybe this training is not for you. Because (laughs) it's not about the certificate. And I was like, how many yoga trainings does a yoga yoga teacher make? It's like, you know, the Tootsie Roll Owl. How many bites do you get to the center of a Tootsie Roll? It doesn't matter one teacher training does not make a yoga teacher. Mm. And I'd even go one step further and say, what we need now are not people who teach yoga. We need people to practice yoga. We need more practitioners. Yoga is not something, and this is what the Gita tells us and the sutras too, is not something that is confined to your yoga mat. You know, when, you know, Krishna says to Arjuna, you know, it's better to do your own dharma badly than to do someone else's really well. Mm. And people believe that yoga is just on your mat. I get on my mat, I'm a yogi, I leave my mat, I'm no longer a yogi. Or I get up and teach because I've got the certifications, and when I stop teaching, there's, I don't know, some lovely halo certification or celebrity that's supposed to follow you. And we've all met teachers and students, and we've probably each been teachers and students in our own way and our own time that are not very nice people. And it could have to do with how our life is going. It has to do with how we're showing up in our practice, how we're showing up for others. So there's something that's being, being lost in the conversation of certification. Why do you want the certification so badly? Is it Because if you want to teach, you need to learn first. Mm. Can you hear what I'm saying? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm not in a rush to push out yoga teachers. 
And you know I lead teacher trainings. You lead teacher trainings, too. Yeah. And, you know, the way that I share the practice when I lead trainings is this is where you become your own teacher. You need to get to clear on your stuff. You need to get clear on your dharma. All right, so that you can hear your inner teacher. If you can't hear your inner teacher, if you don't have a practice, all right, you will only teach the, the little itty-bitty-bitty bit, and me too, the itty-bitty bit that, that you know. Hmm. So it's more important that people are practicing than trying to become a yoga celebrity, we'll say. Mm. Yeah. How do you think that we can bring our yoga off the mat? Like, how does this practice show up in our daily lives, in your opinion? I mean, first thing that comes to mind, and part of my French is, you know, don't be a dick. (laughs) (laughs) I think (laughs) the first thing, people have to realize that, you know, the mat is, is a mirror. It's a metaphor for how we are in the world. If you're getting cranky about something that's happening on your mat, Consider what's bringing it to the surface. If you are all about something being a certain way in your, when you're on your mat, consider how that's showing up in your life. And the thing is, we don't, people aren't taught the tools that, wow, I can take this out into the world. Right? This idea of yoga meaning union, and it's not just union of you know, body, mind, and spirit, and that's a whole other conversation, right? Mm-hmm. But it's how we connect with each other. My yoga is not serving the world. It was only helping me. Mm. All right, so how do we then take it out into the world? So first, you know, I'll take it back Gita style and back to Rod. You know, know your dharma. What is your purpose? Right? Going into, you know, the four aims, the four pujakras. What is your purpose? Right? And how are you going to now take what you've done in your practice out into the world? And just like Marion Williamson says, or that sometimes, you know, they attribute it to Nelson Mandela, you know, shining your light gives other people in the world the permission to shine there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, secondly, or probably thirdly, because I've kind of gone off on a tangent, is this idea of helping each other. And it's not that you solve people's problems, but it's that you... One, you stand up to injustice when you see it. You hold space for for people in a a loving way, Mm. right? So be kind because everyone's fighting a hard battle. So it's not this idea that all of a sudden I'm off the mat and I'm like, woohoo, everything's fine. Okay, now now the practice really begins. Mm. So are there tools? Certainly. Do people use the tools? Sometimes. Sometimes to use the tools, and then we're using the tools. Mm. Wow. But we are very much, we're in this Polaroid generation right now, and I'm, you know, aging myself because Polaroid was, you know, the thing <laughs> when I was a kid, but, which is coming back, which I'm so excited about. But this idea that all of a sudden, you know, you hit the button and I'm a yogi, I'm a yoga teacher. There's no work I have to do. And, you know, this, this life. And just like the sutras say, this, this world exists to set you free. This world exists right, so that you can have this experience of remembering your purusha, of knowing your true self. 
Mm -hmm. Right. So take it as an opportunity rather than a way to this kind of way that, you know, we yogis, we tend to escape. Like, I don't have to deal with that. I want to go meditate it off. No, I see that there's stuff happening in the world. Not my thing. Not the spiritual bypass. It's, it's, spirituality is a form of activism. Mm -hmm. Now, in saying that, I'm curious to what your thoughts are uh, in being able to bring this practice to the masses. And, and the masses, by, by the masses, I mean, you know, you know my background. You know, I grew up in, in East L.A. in, you know, an uh, environment that spiritual pursuits of this nature were not, uh, were of, of privilege. So... Mm -hmm. How do you think now that we can begin to sort of bring a practice like like this in the way that you're saying to the world in in an in a balanced way, you know, with equanimity? Well, I think the you know, first thing that comes to mind is just in how you live your life. You know, your life is your message. And I think that sometimes, you know, yoga teachers are one way in the studio and another way when they leave the studio. Mm -hmm. That's all, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm. that, <laughs> about, that'll be part two. Part about two. lifestyle choices. <laughs> um, and I think it's time, you know, and this is why, you know, some of the projects that I've started to create and focus on, it's time to bring yoga out of the bubble. Mm -hmm. This idea that yoga is for the very affluent and you have to look a certain way and live in a certain neighborhood and have a certain job and even a certain diet. Mm -hmm. We need to bring yoga out of, like they say we live in a bubble in California, like we have to bring yoga out of the bubble that it's just for those certain types of people. And we forget yoga was created by brown people. <laughs> <laughs> It was created by brown people. So, um, I think we need to start presenting practices in other communities outside of the bubble. Do you think that one of the main reasons why people in certain communities, uh, for example, like me with, with the Latin community or, or working with like at-risk youth, um, Anytime yoga is brought up or, or I've gone to teach, it's always like, oh, you know, like we, they love it. And it's such an incredible thing. And I, and I, I wish that we would be able to fund more of these types of programs for, for, you know, communities that are, aren't as affluent, you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. you know, in, in my experience and, and you and I have spoken about this, is it because of, of the way that it's portrayed in the media that this practice is for the privileged you know like i i wrote this article for mantra magazine a, a, a two years ago i believe called meditation is for rich people and it's just it was you know it was that that story with my dad you know was, he had just gotten diagnosed with high blood pressure and i was telling him and look he's always been supportive of all my endeavors and everything and uh, to this day, I don't know that my family actually knows exactly what I do. <laughs> I think they're just mm -hmm. kind of like, she does something 
that like she does yoga, but we don't really know what she does. And that's totally fine. But it's one of those things. Do you think that it's because of the way that these practices are portrayed in, in the media or in public that kind of averts or, or sort of, um, I don't want to say marginalizes a certain area of people, but it isn't, it doesn't feel inclusive. You know what I mean? Um, well, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, certainly the way the media portrays it has an effect. Um, and, you know, the, both you, the way you and I were brought into yoga, I mean, I was brought into it by, you know, the be-all, end-all of affluent women in the world. Mm-hmm. And, but I also want to just add a little earmark that within our communities, we are diverse communities within our diversity. Yeah. And we have people who are affluent, we have people who are not just very much like in these other communities, in other communities. So, mm-hmm. but the way that the media portrays it is something that, it's like, why would I do this thing? It's just, it's just glorified stretching. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and if you're in think in other communities, like in the Latin community and the African American community, where a lot of people go for their spiritual connection mm-hmm. is church. Yeah. Um, and then that brings up the whole idea, is yoga religion, is it not? We know that it's not. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but now it's like, well, now what is our entry point? How do we start to let people know that, hey, this, these things are out there. These tools are available for you. Um, and I think we're so, we're so media-driven as a society that, you know, it's why, you know, people like Russell Simmons have, you know, tantras now in L.A. It's how do we, one, our life is our message, but we also have to show other, other communities, like, this is, this is happening. This is, a posit- this is a positive step in your life. Um, and no one's really done that yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember you know, posting about a, a yoga journal article on my Facebook a couple of weeks ago and a response was, you know, their calendar is, okay, we have to get a minority on at least one, one time out of the year. And then, you know, it's not that it's this, it's not, it's not just being diverse. It's like, we, we have to have, you know, one so that people know that they're there, but they're not really there. Right. Um, so you can edit that out. Oh yeah. No. So what, so what is that? Do you think, why is it that it's not? Well, you don't know, you don't hear that we exist. You don't like we're, we're the unicorns, right? Right. (laughs) 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 And if you think about it for many years, you know, both of us, I was the unicorn in class. I was the unicorn of the teacher. Like, Oh, look, there's a person of color practicing yoga. And, oh my God, she practices. <laughs> um, so we've been meme clones, and now we're seeing it's almost like we're having the convention. <laughs> right. <laughs> that we're, you know, like, we're like, oh, there you are. There you are. There I am. And, you know, certainly they're finding that, you know, it's, it's more women of color who are stepping into practice first. So that's, that's true for anything. Women start first, and then the men kind of figure it out. <laughs> they kind of figure it out shortly thereafter. Yeah. That's fine. We can let them. Yeah. So uh, I obviously can talk to you for hours, and typically we do on the daily basis. 
I know that there's a project that you're working on right now that you're really excited about. I'm really excited about, and I want you to tell the audience what it is. What I noticed, you know, when I was really stepping into intense practice, like daily practice, and feeling like the only unicorn in the room, I started to look for other unicorns, other people of color that were practicing. And this was around like 2002, 2001, 2002. And nothing. <laughs> it was like going to the cupboard and the cupboard being bare. <laughs> and the, the first, you know, first person of color I really, I found that was uh, a practitioner. And this is also just because I was working in art history at the time was Adrian Piper. And if you don't know who Adrian Piper is, you should Google her because she's someone that everyone should know about. <laughs> um, and she was an Iyengar practitioner. But it was like it was almost like I had to do some sleuthing to find her. Like I had to become Sherlock Holmes, like the, the new version of Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> to find out that there was someone else of color practicing. And you know what started to come up for me in the last six to twelve months was. When I stop teaching, you know, because we have our students, we also have people who seek us out because they want to know that they're not unicorns in the room. And unfortunately, sometimes when they come to the studio, they are treated like they're not supposed to be there. And mm -hmm. I've had that experience, unfortunately. So I started to feel like, well, when I stop teaching, like, what's going to happen? Not that it's all on me but it's like a unicorn tapping out. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> um, and I wanted there to be a resource where a more diverse community could learn about yoga and wellness and meditation, but also give a, and I use the word enlightened, just more in perspective, not that all of a sudden, you know, like we're poof or Buddhas or something, but I wanted there to be a perspective of what's happening in current events also through this lens mm -hmm. of spirituality. Um, and this, over time, it evolved into becoming a magazine. And as, as many great things do, they come to, this came to me through meditation. meditation. And, you know, then you kind of go through the who and the ha of who am I to do these things? Who am I to... Right. Like, it should be just a blog. It should just be something on my website. And then this man said, no, the world needs to know that what's possible. Yeah. And people also need to know that there's a way that they can be supported in their lives internally. Right? Because just like the, you know, the Gandhi quote is, is like if, and also Rumi says this, but if you want to change the world, you ought to change yourself. Mm -hmm. And or people want to change the world and they don't want to do anything to themselves. But it really is, it really starts with the individual. And that's how I begin to impact our communities. Right? Because I can't point out the speck in your eye if I haven't gotten clear about the speck in my eye. Mm. Um, so the magazine is called Woke, W-O-K-E. And it's a yoga and wellness magazine, you know, it's for a diverse community. So our perspective is not just the one that you see in the media. You know, it's from the African-American perspective, the Latin perspective, the Asian perspective, the human perspective, because we're, 
we're kind of taught that to be human is, is this homogeny. You see the same thing in the media mm-hmm. time and time again. It's like, no, we are a diverse, we are diverse people. So woke is coming out and it's to share the, share the practices, but also to give people tools so they can begin the practice in their own life. Right? Not everyone has access to a yoga studio in their community. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everyone, you know, wants to go on the internet and be like, oh, you know, the same experience we first had in our first class, like, oh my God, what the heck is happening here? Mm-hmm. So to give people the tools so for their own awakening, right? So as we awaken as individuals, we awaken as a community, mm. right? And that's how we begin to change our world. Mm, I love that. And, so. and you know, this is, I mean, I, I'm really excited about this project for you, Um and for us, for everyone, I think it's something that everyone will really be able to relate to and, and really get in in tune with. Uh, so for, for more information, you can go to www.wearewoke.com. Is that correct? Yeah, that's us. And um, mm-hmm. I'll link, again, like all the those links on, on the show notes so that people can go and subscribe and just kind of read a little bit more about this incredible endeavor of yours. So to wrap up, I'm just going to ask you just two more questions and, and then we can, um, and then we can wrap. Okay. So (laughs) you know that, you know, when I created radically loved the ethos behind that has been, we are radically loved by our surroundings. So be it, you know, spirit, universe, energy, God, whatever it is, we are held by this incredible mechanism of energy in our world that loves us unconditionally. So that's what radically loved is, right? So it's this Mm -hmm. unlimited source of support. So how do you feel radically loved? It's almost like something you can't put into words, it's a feeling. And I found that the more that I am, that I feel loved and have the ability to give, to give love, and it comes through from the time, and not going to say it comes back to my practice, but it, it, it does. It's the time I've spent in practice has enabled me to be in relationship. The time I've spent in relationship has empowered me to be in the world. Um, and then it circles back to my practice, mm. right? So it's through my practice mm. that I remember love, right? And then have the experience of it and everything that I do. So do I feel su- feel supported? Yeah, I feel supported by you. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but mm-hmm. um. Yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah. I love that. That's, that's a great answer. And then the last one is, what do you radically love? Hmm. Yeah, I think I, well, there's things I radically love. Like, I radically love you, and I love my partner, I love the work I'm doing, um, I'm, this might sound a little cheesy. I like cheesy. And I think it's something that's hard 
it's maybe this is also why the practice is called the practice of the perfect. But there's something that's happening in the world right now that I do love. And yes, it's a shit storm right now. And there's <laughs> a lot going on. But there's an energy and action and eye opening that's happening with so many people that I am enamored with. I'm enamored with uh, how people are waking up. Mm. Um, and I think it's like the allegory of the cave, right? Yeah. Like we've been in the cave and the people have turned around and like, oh my God, look what's all this stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. And there's things that have been happening in the world that we've known for a long time. And more people are seeing it. Like, not only just the more people are seeing it, more people are giving voice to what they're seeing. Um, so as sad and sometimes disheartening as it is to be in many of the situations that we're experiencing as a country and as a people and as a planet, I think that there's an empowerment shift that's happening within people that is beautiful to watch. That it's not reliant on a few people. Like, Mm -hmm. we are all in this. And how, you know, the raindrop doesn't take responsibility for the flood, but the raindrop can cause the flood. So, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm kind of digging on right now. You are amazing. Thank you so much. (laughs) That was a nice little, that was a a great uh, closing to an incredible interview. Eka, thank you so much. Thank you. You know, um, and in in the words of of Rod, you know, keep practicing. (laughs) Mm. Just, Just like that. Just keep practicing. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. For more information, visit www.radicallylove.com forward slash podcast to read all about today's guests or past guests. You can click on any of the links or for more information, you can always follow me on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or Twitter at Rosie Acosta and let us know what you thought.